Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast campaigning to have Pete Evanson's fake dildo coronavirus machine shoved up the diseased-infested rectum of Bryce Cartwright. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing all of the late-breaking issues in the game of rugby league, including the ongoing vaccination controversy, the move towards having only one referee, and what the likely 2020 draw will look like. But first, I'm joined by two men vying to replace Roy Horn from the famed Siegfried and Roy. First is Xander Risotto. Welcome, mate. Good to be here, mate. The next man is referred to by Silicon Valley as the Osama Bin Laden of the Twittersphere. It's, of course, Media Watch Mario. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Now, the only problem is that they're actually referring to me as Obama because in the eyes of um, the right side of... American politics, Obama is worse than Osama. Did I say Obama or Osama bin Laden? Did I say Obama oh, bin Laden? I you well. No, you did say Osama. <laughs> I, I just... You said Osama bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. I was going to say, if I've just compared the great Barack Obama to Osama bin Laden, I, I hang my head in shame. I'm very happy to hear I didn't do it, though. Well, um, Lord and Master Trump did a tweet during the week saying something along the lines of, Barack Hussein Obama, and then he just ranted, and even for him, it was nonsensical. I was reading it, I read it three times, and I could not make any sense of it whatsoever, and I thought, okay, that's one of his better tweets. Could be strangled at birth. He should have been. I actually heard during the week that uh, Donald Trump broke the thousand tweets a week mark, so he has, I think, gone literally off his nut this week. Dear, I dear. I mean, that's a great effort, isn't it? A thousand tweets... I mean, a bot would struggle to put a thousand coherent tweets together, although, to be honest, his aren't coherent. It amazes me that there's people who are making a, a career of becoming somewhat famous simply by following him and living on Twitter just to rep- be the first person to reply to his every tweet because they know it guarantees him, you know, a thousand likes and 300 retweets, whether that it's in favour or against him, it doesn't matter. Mm, I feel the same way about Peter Fitzsimons, to be completely honest. But look, before we push into the show, lads, I, I did touch on the fact that you were vying to be the replacement of Roy in Siegfried and Roy. Um, now, I, I don't know if you guys have, uh, are familiar with the history at all, um, but obviously Roy, who's passed away from COVID-19 during the week, of course, start a comedy podcast with someone's death, why not? Um, but his story, he actually got mauled in the early 90s uh, by one of his tigers. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Um, but the interesting anomaly here is the fact that he actually got uh, dragged off by the, dragged off the stage by the neck and was severely injured. He was actually paralysed for the rest of his life. But in an interview, a subsequent interview, he actually argued that the cat was trying to protect him because he was having a medical episode. And I know that uh, when there's an episode of that kind of nature in my family, the first thing I do is stab them in the neck viciously. Um, when you go to be the next Roy from Siegfried and Roy, 
Are you both planning to undertake a similar strategy? Well, I'm not so much of a cat person, so I was more thinking that I would be working with um, three psychotic pig dogs on stage, you know, the, the biggest, the ugliest and meanest that I could find. Fantastic. Uh, that would be simply so that they could maul any hecklers that decided that my magical efforts weren't good enough. I do have uh, one of those uh, ugly pig dogs at home that could assist with that. <laughs> That's right. She's been known to maul the old toddler, hasn't she? She has. In fact, the other day, um, she took exception to somebody, well, another dog trying to attack her. I just love the, the buoyant tone in uh, Xander's voice when I said it had been attacking toddlers. He went, yes, it has, like, like a proud mum. They were all very bad kids. They were. <laughs> it's the Dexter of the canine world. I love it. It only goes after the bad kids. But uh, we're going to kick into the show. Uh, but before we do that, just a reminder that we can be followed on all of the main social media platforms via the handle at Voluntary Tackle. And please, if you could make some time to leave a comment and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, that'd be great. We'd appreciate that uh, more than a loose air conditioning duct that Ted Bundy, when he escaped from jail, and he went on to murder many, many women. But look, the first topic, I mean, I don't know how you segue from that, but the first topic that we're tackling on the show is this anti-vaxxer issue, guys, uh, which has sort of plagued the NRL news cycle in recent weeks. Some players from the Titans, a couple from Manly, some from the Raiders, are refusing to have a flu shot, a requirement of the Queensland government at this stage and a highly desired protocol from the NRL to get the competition restarted. I guess the first question we're asking on the show is, what should be done to resolve the standoff? Now, I'll probably kick the proceedings off here. Um, Now, we're not communist China. Uh, We can't physically restrain players and jam a needle into their arm. Although it must be said in the case of Bryce Cartwright, that would be really easy to do because you could catch him and hold him down. He's as weak as a kitten. But we can't do that, obviously. Um, It wouldn't be ethically right. But surely this is solved by simply standing them down and saying, well, unless you're objecting on proven medical grounds, you can't play and get paid. For me, it's just that simple. But how do you guys see it? I think we'll start with you, Xander. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, This issue... It, it, it's annoyed me because at first I thought the NRL were taking the, the right rein on it and were, were basically doing that. They were going to stand them down. But then I've, I've read that um, the likes of um, uh, Mel Meninga and others are seeking compensation because they feel the Titans are going to be at a disadvantage without Bryce Coe right now. <laughs> debatable to begin with if you're going to be at a disadvantage without Bryce Coe right, frankly. But, you know, if, if you've got players making a decision that, you know, let's be blunt about it, does actually uh, increase risk to the other players around them. You know, I know it's not the COVID-19 vaccine, but it's a broader flu vaccine and these things sort of feed into each other. Um, If they're making a decision that is effectively a heavily debunked conspiracy theory, based on heavily debunked conspiracy theories... Then yeah, they, you know, look, they have the they have the, the right to, to make that choice on their behalf, but they don't have the right to play in the NRL competition. Mario, do you agree with that? That it, as long as there's no sort of really adverse medical reason for not taking the flu jab, that the players should just be simply stood down. Look, I don't think there's anything there to disagree with. Anyone with even half a brain would have to agree with that. And obviously, it's you know. Where what it's what we're talking about is people that don't have half a brain. The one question mark I do have is: is it a restraint of trade to require someone to take a flu vaccine? Would they be able to fight that in court? I really don't know. I'm purely theorising. Um, no, it's not a restraint of trade. 
Um, yeah, that wouldn't fall into that category. Well, it, something along those lines, you know, is there some re, something we're doing, you know, you, if you can't force someone to do that, therefore you have to allow them to play. I, I'm wondering if they took If they sport. argued it was a religious um, belief, then they might have an angle given the, the, the protections that the, the government have passed, um, the, yeah. the so-called Falau laws. Um, then they might have they might have cause under that, I'm thinking, but um, not being a lawyer, it's hard to say definitively. But that's the only angle I can think of. So maybe if, maybe if they argue that they're Christian scientists like Val Kilmer is, for example, um, and believe that, uh, you know, medical science is completely wrong and they really just need to pray to you know, virus away. Uh, maybe that's the angle they'd have to go for, but otherwise I don't think they, they actually can. I mean, hasn't, haven't Jehovah's Witnesses even come out and said they'll take the, the, the um, COVID vaccine if and when it comes out? <laughs> I mean, when you're getting trumped on science by Jehovah's Witnesses, you just know you're in the wrong, surely. Yeah. But, but on your point, Xander, regarding uh, that religious aspect, I understand, I've seen comments from the Queensland Chief Medical Officer which suggests that on religious grounds, isn't even a good enough reason, uh, given the current state of the, uh, the the pandemic and Australia's plight with the health cycle. So I don't even think that's strong enough ground at the moment. I think the only th- sort of viable reason is if you have an acute allergic reaction to vaccines or, and, you've, and you have a proven history of it. So I actually think that this has obviously been sort of taken out of the NRL's hands now. I think it's actually a government restriction. So... They're holding firm on it, the no jab, no jab, no play policy. So even with or without one of these waivers, I think that it's not really going to be the NRL's decision, right? Unless, of course, we don't play games in Queensland. I think if we um, look at Bryce Cartwright, I think he should be able to be paid for not playing simply because he has an allergy to tackling. I love it. And, and, and further to Xander's point earlier about Mal Meninga being compensated, I think, if anything, they should have less cap room because they've now lost the biggest incumbent, the, the biggest hurdle um, that the team has actually faced uh, with Cartwright gone. I think it's a fair point, actually. I mean, with him outside of the team, I mean, he could he could have, like, the opposite effect of, you know, say, like, a Cooper Cronk did for the Roosters, where he would raise the standards of everyone. Not having Cartwright in the, in the team might actually raise the standards of everyone else left as well, and also probably raise the IQ. But we're saying this to troll, but the thing is, I think this is a genuine, actual argument. He is that bad. How much incentive is there watching him play for the other players to do the right thing as well, to go out and put in that extra little bit of effort to make a tackle when you're watching him not give a shit? I think, although I know you're saying it to troll, I think genuinely the team will be better for having him not there even for training because it gets rid of that ball and chain that's wrapped around their ankles. And Mario, I, and to your point before, you were worried about someone like Bryce Cartwright uh, enlisting the help of a lawyer, uh, and could they take the NRL to court? I think we're pretty safe there as well, because the likelihood of him being smart enough to recruit a lawyer, I think he'd probably recruit a gynaecologist by mistake. I don't think there's a genuine chance um, that he could actually pose a, a viable case against the game. So I think we're safe there as well. Dennis, did he hire the lawyer? Lawyer for him. I was going to say Lionel Hutz. He's kind of a lawyer. I'd imagine Bryce Cartwright getting somehow. That's right. Hire the dead Phil Hartman. That'll help him. Now, um, I was was just wondering here. This is obviously, they're talking about there's only a handful of players, boys, that have actually objected to this. I think they're saying it's in the realm of 
97, 98%. But my question to you guys is, is this, is this a reflection of the norm? Because even 2 to 3% of players, I still think that's too high for that number of players to be legitimately objecting on moral grounds, the idea of vaccination. Did you guys anticipate that we were going to have, you know, a, a 2 to 3% of the NRL's players objecting? Honestly, it's a little bit low in a way. Yeah. I, 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 I think the amount of people in general society who are coming out of the woodwork on social media right now suggest that that 2 to 3%, you know, it could be... It could be around that for normal people, but also the NRL now has a higher percentage than rest of society on um, people of Islander background, and they apparently, from what people have been saying, well, I'm not even certain if it's true, but apparently they do have some objections over there to um, to getting vaccinations in general. I, I'm not sure if that's actually mostly. It's, it's mostly been, been the Samoan players and the Raiders, and that, from what I understand, and Marty Capel. Um, you know, had his own medical objections, which were based on a previous, uh, like, bad experience he'd had, but he sucked it up. And well, that's it, fair enough. But, yeah, but, but he's actually taken it. But it's, it's a few of the Raiders, I think, who are of Samoan heritage, and there's been a whole thing about Samoa uh, in the last few years about them. Um, they, they, they had some, uh, like, poor vaccine practices that were taken throughout a part of the country. And then I, I uh, think it was that they... Therefore, everyone became like um, really intense anti-vaxxer, or the movement was really strong there. And then they had a huge measles outbreak, which killed a bunch of people, which I think has started to swing things the other way. But it seems to be clustered around that, that community, from what I can tell. Well, I certainly hope we're not speaking out of turn with the, the Samoan culture. But, um, I mean, if, if that is true, does anyone know, if that, is that for a cultural or religious reason, or is this just some phenomena of sort of domestic Samoan policy? Because I'm not familiar with it, so I'm not prepared to kind of make a conclusion either way. But um, do you guys happen to know any background on that? Uh, the only, yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, in the islands, um, the fundamentalist religious adherence is fairly strong. So there is um, a tendency to issue any evidence from medical science on things. So it's it's not uncommon for that reason for, for something like an anti-vax um, you know, conspiracy belief system to take root. Yeah, that's what I was. I guess that's what I was driving at because you know your Bryce Cartwrights and your Antonio Windersteins, that's sort of born out of sort of digital harebrained conspiracy theories, isn't it? Rather than a cultural norm. So, I was just wondering how that mapped onto a disproportionately high amount of Samoan players objecting to the vaccine. But um, I have noticed in a travel sense that a lot of those uh, Pacific Island nations have actually been really tough on closing up their borders early, uh, and a lot of them have actually fared really well in preventing uh, COVID-19 to have actually taken hold. So they must, at least at the government level, in a, a lot of the Pacific Island nations, understand the risks of disease infection. Much easier with the lower population, lower population density, fewer For sure. tourists coming in and out, it's just easier to lock down. Yeah, that's true as well. Uh, geography yeah, plays a big role. big populations. That like, is I mean, true. About 110,000 people. Some I was about 1325. I think it's a little under a million in Fiji. The Fiji is probably the most complicated of them. And yeah, I mean, there are places in the world that you would think you could probably insulate. I mean, they don't have the, the surest sort of place like us. Um, I, for one thing. Zoran, can I pose a question to you guys? Are there any players at your club that you hope object? so that you can find a cheap way of getting rid of him? There was one, but he's with South now. 
Yeah, no, I have to say, especially in light of what has happened pre-season, um, I'm not entirely upset that Latrell Mitchell's not playing in the tricolours again. I know a lot of his criticism before the shooting uh, camping holiday was fairly unwarranted, but uh, when all that went down, I remember thinking, you know, I'm pretty happy we've got Josh Morris. Yeah, whereas for Manly, the one of the guys who has it objected, I'm not sure if he's since relented or not, but I'm hoping he hasn't, is Dylan Walker, because mm. you guys will probably know that he's kind of second only to Cam Smith to me in terms of people that I hate. I can't stand the guy. I hate him at my club and wish he was gone. Yes, you have been vocal on the show, actually, previously, Mario. If uh, my memory serves me correctly, you're not a fan of Dylan Walker. I'm actually in the same category, um, mainly for his his personality and some off-field reasons. But um, no, my understanding is he is still objecting um, and holding out on the, on the anti-vax issue. So for you, Mario, to press you on that, you'd actually be happy to see Dylan Walker stood down for the rest of the year, even if it meant not getting any other cap allowance, even if it meant no compensation? Even even if. Honestly, this guy has just been a drain to our club ever since he's been there. He hasn't been that good despite what people think. He's been out for get, being a smart ass and getting punched in the face by Curtis Scott. He gets out for suspensions. He's out for injuries that have been you know somewhat self-inflicted at times. He just, he's taken up all this cap space from us and delivered fuck all. And, to, and, you know, obviously out there allegedly bashing his wife, even though he's been allegedly clear, blah, 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 bullshit. Um, it's just, I just think he's done nothing but be a drain on our club, and I wish he was not there. Hashtag coronavirus silver linings. Um, look, the, the common objection, boys, has been um, in, in terms of, you know, taking the flu shot, from not, not from the players, but from outside, I've noticed, has been this notion of, well, if it doesn't prevent COVID-19, when why take it? Why is this mandatory? Um, so we mentioned Mark Latham earlier, actually, and I'm, um, I'm going to bring a quote from him from Twitter, actually. I and mean, He sort of articulated a lot of that sort of online sentiment. And he said, vaccinations of children is essential, but why does a grown man have to do the flu shot when it has nothing to do with the coronavirus? Many people do winter flu shots and don't catch the flu anyway. So correct me if I'm wrong, the logic driving the decision to have the shot is that given COVID-19 and influenza have pretty close to identical symptoms, it's actually important for the NRL to lower the risk of flu so that it actually boosts its COVID-19 detection. Am I getting that rationale right? That was my understanding. Also that you uh, having the flu can weaken your immune system and if you do get it at the same time, then the symptoms can be stronger. I remember saying back in Feb, saying to my wife, hey, we should probably get a, get our whole family a flu shot this year just because it, it, you know, this thing that's happening in China seems to be, you know, sound like the flu and let's not make it... You know, we didn't know that much about it at that stage, but I remember saying something along the, along the lines of we don't want to make it easier to get or make it worse if we do get it, so why don't we get a flu shot? Look at you, Nostradamus. You just were like, this could be a pandemic. Better get the flu shot. I love it. It's funny because I've never really given a shit about any of the previous pandemics. They always seem further away. Maybe it's just because I've been hearing about it in a few podcasts, you know, just a little bit talking about it. Maybe it just felt more real or something. So in the past, I'd not been concerned about Ebola or SARS or bird flu or anything like that. But this one, I, I was a little bit concerned about. I love it. We're going to call you. Gacy's got me, got me hooks in here. You know, he's got those 
get those microchips in the 5G and, and control something. <laughs> Xander, are you in Xander, you in agreement there about that rationale, the fact that it's about detection and also about limiting the severity of COVID-19? Is that a, is that a valid enough reason to insist that NRL yeah, players no. get the flu shot? Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's both of those things um, that Mario just pointed out. It's, it's, it's one, you're, you're going to panic um, if you do have those symptoms to begin with in the current environment. But two, if you get a bad flu and then you get this, then it's people with weaker immune systems who get hit harder and that's when it become, can become dangerous. So it makes perfect sense to me. Now, I'm normally, I guess, for the players in most instances, and I'm also usually for sort of the freedoms of the individual. But to me, this sort of is a departure from other examples because obviously your individual choice has the chance to harm others. Um, so I guess the logic of players saying, you know, why are you infringing on my individual liberties? It would sort of strikes me about the same as someone going, well, I have a right to have a, a giant street party in George Street in the middle of lockdown. It just doesn't seem to hold a lot of water to me. Um, and I did notice someone making those similar kind of arguments was Mark Minicello, which I have to admit, before I read the story today, I forgot he existed. Um, so did people running at him in the red zone from memory. But um, I, I like to refer to him as the lesser Minicello. Now, this is interesting for a start. He describes himself as a corrective holistic exercise and lifestyle coach. Massive red flags already. Uh, but he came out in, uh, on his Instagram and said, I'm seeing a sport dictate to and isolate their players under government pressure. Surely the NRL have a bigger backbone than to turn on its own players and have the courage to stand up for their human rights. I would also say to players of today, stand up for your teammates. We cannot accept this coercion and manipulation of individual players. We need to wake up and look at what is coming down the road. If you don't stand up now for your freedom of choice, then the precedent is set and our future and our kids will be without the freedom of choice. Now, Xander, this strikes me uh, that we might not have any kids left to breed with uh, if we took the, uh, Mark's advice on disease control. What, what's your take on that? Oh, Jesus, as you said, mate, where do you begin with that? I mean, fuck you, Dad. So holistic lifestyle and health coaches, I mean, I'm sure they have a role in society, but, but giving out medical advice based on science is not one of them. Um, no, I don't think this is a human rights issue because they are not being coerced by the government. This is this is about their. Uh, this is a fundamentally an employment contract issue, right? This is about the, the the requirements of their employer, and unless, as you said before, you have a clear medical reason to refuse a vaccination, which will basically increase the uh, or reduce the risk of the entire competition then the, the, com the, the company should have every right to re uh, uh, reject your right to play. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a separate rights issue at play here that people often ignore. I mean, these people like uh, Mark Minicello are effectively advocating that um, the rights of companies and companies, um, you know, should have rights about how their image is going to be uh, used by their uh, employees as well. They're arguing that their rights should be forfeit. And I don't think that's a fair... I mean, particularly when it's something like this, where it's about overall um, risk to health of players in other parts of the competition, other parts of the company, if you were to take it away from the NRL context. I think I think you're, if you make this narrowly about the individual, um, then their rights are their own business, but they don't have a right to be paid by a company who is looking after a much larger group of people. 
Murray, I'm inclined to agree with this. What about uh, the Gold Coast Titans' right not to be surrounded by complete dickheads? Surely that's infringing on their right. Well, you talk about complete dickheads, and it makes me wonder, how come all the people most strongly objecting to this, you know, to these injections seem to be the shitter people of their name? You've got Dylan Walker. Cody Walker doesn't have a problem with it. I know they're not related, but still, Dylan Walker is the shitter Walker. You've got um, you've got Frank Winterstein, clearly the lesser of Wintersteins. Antonio was much much better a player. Bryce Cartwright, well, so vastly inferior to to it to the old old fella, and even to the to bloody Hilton Cartwright who plays cricket for Australia. Bryce Cartwright could barely make, you know. If you put him right now in the under-18s Australian team, he couldn't even make that. He's so shit. So it seems to be something that it's obviously the lesser people, the stupid people. It shows you that people like to call rugby league players stupid, but obviously you've got to be pretty smart to be able to to get good because the people that are really shit seem to be the dumb ones. Yeah, there seems to be a direct correlation between their intelligence and how good they are at the game. I think you make a a pretty cogent point there. And obviously the other one being that no one's forcing this on them. Uh, They have a decision to make whether or not they want to play or not. But look, we did put this out to social media. We asked what should happen to NRL players refusing to take the flu shot vaccination. The options were they should be allowed to play, they should be stood down with pay, they should be stood down without pay, or they should have their contract terminated. And overwhelmingly, with 61.6%, most people elected stood down without pay. Um, Guys, do you agree with that? Would that be the way you'd go with someone, say, for example, like a Brian Kelly or a Bryce Cartwright? You'd stand them down for the year without any pay, or would you go further and terminate the contract? I think stand them down without pay is pretty well the the right course for something like this. I don't think... um, I don't think you need to fire them yet, but you shouldn't be paying them. But what about Mal Meninga's argument there, mate, that it penalises the club? So the the player's action there has actually penalised the club. Does that hold any water? Well, they should probably bet their players better. Yeah, fair point. Mario, do you agree with that? Well, what Xander just said, that goes back to something I said a couple of months ago on the show where where you, you would recall I said something along the lines of, um, there needs to be a disincentive for teams signing players that are shit humans. I do remember you saying that. Um, now, I think that was about three or four months ago, but it's hard to keep track of what you say sometimes on the show, Mario, because there's a lot of those sound bites floating around in my head. Like the one, remember when you said, um, out of all the Smurfs, you'd like to nail Papa Smurf first, which we found odd at the show because there's obviously Smurfette's an option. Come on, the guy's got magic. You, you're telling me he couldn't float your boat with a bit of his magic thrown in? Oh, I just love to ruffle his beard, to be completely honest. That's, <laughs> that gets my motor running. But look, we will mention a couple of the comments that are below the poll. Um, this one comes from Grant Morgan. He said, my choice is to not be put at risk by the stupidity of anti-vaxxers. Where's my freedom to choose? Which is a pretty good point. The other one comes from Enormous Eel, who said, players should be stood down without pay if it's not due to adverse reactions. If the government says you can play with a jab, you're making the choice not to meaning you're choosing not to work. The option to play is there. As long as you get it, how's Bryce going to buy his coat hangers now? That is true. Uh, there will be some uh, interesting questions asked up at the Gold Coast. And, boys, maybe this does lead into what you're saying there about the character of players. It's not just how they perform on the field. Maybe this will kind of be serve as a reminder for clubs that you're recruiting people for their intellect and their character as well. You've got to wonder if... Um 
you know, I, I agree, by the way, I never did answer that question. I agree that stood down without pay does seem the logical thing. However, one thing I would wonder is if the club has, if the, you know, if the player is in breach of their contract enough and a club were able to legally, st- you know, stand them down, actually terminate their contract, it would be a really good way for a club to get rid of a contract that wasn't in their benefit. You know, some player that turned out to be injury prone, a Kieran Four and a sort, sort of person where maybe you're paying them a million bucks but you don't want to anymore. So any player making this call, Bryce Cartwright, if he's on more than $12.50 a day, then he's overpaid. So he is taking a very large risk that the club might just decide, nah, he's shit, let's get rid of him. That's interesting. So what you're saying is if you have a Kieran Foran and he's injury prone, you're like, God, this guy's taking up too much cap space. Simply bombard him with online uh, paranoid conspiratorial propaganda and hope that he buys that. Yeah, you're giving Uncle Nick an idea now because that really sounds like, you know, just an upgrade on the Roosters' usual method of just plant cocaine on them. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, we're talking the move by Peter Volandis to get rid of the two-referee system to, quote, save some money. Many memes going around about how much uh, referees must be earning to make this a significant cost-cutting measure. Must be on about 15k a match by my arithmetic. But cost-cutting or not, how do we feel about this move, guys? Is this the right way to go, to go back to one referee? This has been a bit of a... I guess an ongoing discussion of debate ever since it came in, really. Quite a polarising uh, idea to have a second referee. Um, Xander, let's start with you. How do you feel about the idea of reducing the referees to just the one? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting one in that it's an ongoing debate. Like, there have been people who have been you know, demanding a return to one referee for ages, but um, the likes of uh, Nick, Uncle Nick and others have pointed out um, that if we're complaining about the refere- uh, the the, uh, the wrestle and the ruck, then having one referee will just make that more of a problem again. I mean, I, I don't really know if that's necessarily going to be a problem if they adjust it correctly. It seems to me like um, it's uh, it, it's going to um, get the wheels turning for some of the more creative coaches on how they can take advantage of the, I guess the the, the reduced oversight around the tackle. I don't know. I mean, if, if it's if it's absolutely vital, international games are played uh, with one referee all the time anyway. Super League actually tends to be a pretty fast um, game of footy. I mean, it's a lower standard, but still, they don't tend to have the same problems. Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's manageable. Mario, do you think this is a bit of a smokescreen, the idea of it being a, a cost-cutting measure, uh, in the sense that I don't think it would necessarily save a huge amount of money a year, it strikes me that maybe this could be Peter Volandi's simply never been a fan of two referees and using this, I guess, re- restarting of the competition as the perfect excuse uh, to get rid of the second referee. What are your thoughts on that? They say if you're not going forwards, you're going backwards. I feel like a lot of the things Volandis has done, even though a lot of it seems good on the outside, I feel like he's, you know, he's polishing a turd in a lot of ways and making terrible things look okay and as you say packaging it as a cost-cutting exercise the whole the, the whole rumor of, of seven years with with channel nine that makes no sense because we're moving in a digital direction the world is so that doesn't make sense to me to me that feels like we're stagnating for the next seven years rather than going forward i think there are two ref, 
two referee versus one referee thing, it's just got to be a clear step backwards, doesn't it? Because the whole point of having a lead referee and then the pocket referee is that you've still got one person who is in charge making the calls, but you've got someone who's properly qualified to assist when needed. But having someone out of the play over on the sideline, they're not in as good a position as the pocket referee is to make calls and therefore be of genuine assistance. And it just seems to be that as soon as you are a touch judge, you are lesser. That seems to be the feeling that happens, and that's why they seem to be scared to make calls on forward passes and things like that. I might be way off on that, but that's just sort of the way it looks on the outside, I reckon. Yeah, I think you've got a point there. Look, I like the idea of if you're not going forwards, you're going backwards, except for the fact that you could obviously go sideways. That would be my only objection to that logic. But look, I actually, I was lukewarm on having two referees come in to begin with. I wasn't necessarily really against it, but I didn't feel it was particularly necessary. Because from memory, and correct me if I'm wrong, the idea was we wanted to clean up the ruck. That's the reason we needed two referees to come in because there was a lot going on in the ruck with the likes of the Melbourne Storm and now the Roosters. Um, and look, to be honest with you, it, it doesn't seem to have really cleaned up a lot of the ruck. The wrestle's still very much there. If, if anything, it's maybe the experiment for me uh, has sort of meant that the game is a bit too over-regulated and, and maybe there's a less of an onus on a single referee to make decisions. <laughs> Having said all of that, um, I actually don't think we need to make major changes like that now um what do you guys think of this the idea of we've already started the season and already Peter Volandis wants to make a change like this and he also wants to make a rule change around ruck infringements where we don't have penalties we just have sixes again these to me seem like fairly sizable moves to make after two games have already been played and we've already had all these challenges about getting us back onto the field do you think the timing's right here? It might have some merit, but for me, the timing's just why off. I think we're struggling just to get the game back on the field. How about we leave it alone and just focus on getting our, our game back running again? How do we feel about that? I think it, 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 there are two things. You're right. Like they've played a couple of rounds that's a bit awkward, but at the same time, I can kind of see what they're doing. It's a little bit um, of a, 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 an opportunist attempt to make a suite of changes whilst everybody's sort of consumed with the chaos. So I, I agree with you that I think it's um, awkward. But if you're going to try a bunch of things without having to go through the long committee process, you know, this, a crisis like this is probably the cover to do it. So it's opportunism, Mario. Do you agree with that? Oh, look, certainly. I think that. I mean, I think that makes sense. And if I was the person in charge and I had a bunch of things I want changes I wanted to make, I would certainly use that. I mean, governments have been starting wars since time immemorial just for the sake of covering up their shit policies. Um, one thing you have to wonder, though, the whole using... Having two referees came in to reduce the wrestle. Now, it, they started... Two referees started in the start of 2009. Um, so, and you... And I think Xander said, you know, how, how much has it really cleaned it up? Things have seemed to have gotten worse. That's probably true. But the Melbourne Storm had already started their run. You know, 2006, they made the first grand final uh, since, you know, of this new era. Um and then obviously made seven and eight as well on, under one ref. But I do feel like their wrestle has only probably continued to get worse despite what Melbourne Storm fans, you know, bitch and moan. There's no question that they've been intentionally doing things, and there's so many examples, and they're not the only ones. Other teams have done it too. Storm have just done it worse slash better, depending on your point of view. 
Um, so I, I just don't know. I, I don't see how, though, Peter Volander said there's he wants to crack down on the wrestle. How can you really do that by putting more pressure and more work onto the guy in charge, the guy in the middle? That was That's exactly where I was going, Mario. So for me... If it's about, I guess, trying to get rid of the wrestle, isn't that the whole idea of having the pocket referee there to begin with? The logic didn't quite seem to stack up for me, and I'd imagine that one referee is probably going to see less than another set of eyes. Yeah, and no, I mean that, that's the concern. I think is if they do overly police that, then what are they? What are they missing? I mean, does that mean the offside line all of a sudden starts to get less attention? I mean, there's gonna there's gonna have to be a trade-off, and I guess that that's the question. I mean, you guys are both right that. If they're brought in to stop the wrestle, that hasn't really worked. But they, they, Warren Smith made the point that if you look at the stats, sort of pre-two refs, there have been more tries per game post the, uh, the uh, inclusion of two refs. So, you know, what, what is the key ingredient or what is the, the, the key data point that, that it has allowed for that? Sorry, so just to make sure I got that right, you, are you saying that uh, since the implementation of two referees, there have been more tries? Yeah, per game. According to Warren Smith's stats, anyway. Okay. Well, that wouldn't that. So it's amazing when you consider a, you know, the period around 2001, which you know the, where Parramatta scored 900 points and the team in eight scored 700 points, basically. So everyone was scoring just tries for fun, just left, right, and centre. You, you assume that the years around that, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I would guess you know 2000, 2002, around there, probably similar. So it's interesting for us to there to be so many more now than pre two refs. It's, yeah, it's curious. Well, it's interesting. I I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me either, but I do know in two thousand and two, uh, the Roosters kind of pioneered the gang tackle. Uh, we had we had a fair few bodies in the tackle, and I think they ended up going harder on the flop um, around the ruck because of that. So the game does ebb and flow. We do know that. Um, but I don't think necessarily the two-referee experiment has worked stunningly well. Um, but I just wouldn't be making changes in round three. I guess that's my issue. Yeah, and I, I, I do see where you're coming from. But like I said, I think yeah, it probably qualifies as opportunities. And there's been a lot of agitation around the two-ref system for a while. And maybe this is, as you know, you just see this sort of perfect cover and not to do it. Fair enough. Well, look, it was, as you said, it was uh, sold to us as a cost-cutting measure. Now, this has been mentioned by a number of people. Surely, if we are trying to save costs on the adjudication, the first casualty of war would be the bunker. Now, I actually do like the bunker. I wouldn't want to see it grow. I think it's great technology. My beef's pretty much with how it's used. I think we probably go to it too regularly. What do you guys think? Do you think that the bunker should have gone first before a second referee? I, I would. I'm, I'm like you. Actually, I would prefer to keep the bunker than two referees because I think its role in, in quickening decisions actually has been pretty, pretty large and fairly self-evident. Like it's, they, they often make decisions before you, they've, they've uh, hit the screen. Like with the captain's challenges, it's worked pretty well actually on that front. They, they've overturned them sometimes before they've had a chance to replay them. What do you think, Mario? Well, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I, I certainly would want to keep the bunker. But on the topic of um, reducing costs, what has really irked me is that the place that they seem to have wanted to reduce costs, as their suggestion has been from develop from development staff, as in you know people out there. I guess uh, that probably comes into recruitment. That comes into lower grade games 
and you know getting people playing. And the thing is, people who play the game will generally watch the game. And if you don't have, if there's no development, if there's not people going to schools, you know, apart from Canterbury players, uh, you know, and <laughs> encouraging people to play, then we're we're just handing a free kick to AFL effectively. It just seems ridiculous that that would be a place we go to cut cost rent. I'd rather go to one ref and and accept that if it means that we're not cutting cost to the de- to the development of the game. I think you're a hundred percent right, Mario. That needs to be priority one. If we we are cutting costs, to me that can't be one of them. I think for the long term viability of the game. Um, well, what do you think about that, Xander? In terms of, I, I guess I'll throw this question out to you, Xander. First, if you were Peter Valandis. Um, where would you start outside of the referees and the bunkers? Have you got any other ideas of where we can trim the fat? I mean, I suspect, and, you know, been reading, everyone's been reading this for a while with their head off with things apparently pretty bloated and, and pretty full of um, uh, sort of lobbyists and, um, uh, you know, public relations people and, and, and a lot of other sort of corporate front office stuff that probably could be trimmed down and simplified. That said, um, some of that stuff is underrated. One of the reasons the AFL is so successful is they have paid up lobbyists in Canberra who, who um, uh, harassed the crap out of uh, MPs and have helped them get a leg up in a lot of the stadium and infrastructure and, and uh, funding programs. So That doesn't sound like the AFL. Yeah. <laughs> now, Roy Masters has had a, a few fairly big pieces on it. Um, it's quite enlightening, the, uh, the much more uh, broad-based approach they've had. Um, so I think the NRL's probably got to maybe trim some of the fat at the front office before they do anything else. And that sounds like what they're doing, though, to be fair. Now, Mario, I want to pick your brains on this issue as well. Now, for me, the obvious cutback uh, would be player uniforms. I know when I've played and, and tried to purchase a jersey, they're expensive as hell. It's $180 to get a jersey. So could the NRL potentially just go, well, we can save probably 2 or $3 million here if the players and the referees just turn up naked? for the Greek Olympics way back in the day, didn't it? So uh, absolutely, and surely, you know, there's, there's, seeing Marty Tatao running running around Starkers, it, it's got to get a couple of couple of girls and a couple of guys extra watching the game who might currently be, you know, a bit more obsessed with AFL short shorts. I know, and I will just put a bit of a caveat out there about the ancient Olympics. Um, it, it worked so long as your, your cock didn't get caught in the shot put. A more serious suggestion is, at least for this season arrange the draw in a way that they can centralise it more so Brisbane are coming to Sydney that they stay in Sydney for two or three weeks in a row and then stay in Brisbane two or three weeks in a row, do it in runs so there's just a little bit less of cost of travel. Uh, They may be doing something along those lines anyway. We're not exactly sure where the games are being played and everything yet, but I think that does actually seem like a bit of an obvious thing that they'd get away with this year at least, even if they wouldn't be able to necessarily do it every year. Well, that's actually a legitimately good suggestion. So you're saying make sure whatever draw we come up with that we can um, have the fewest amount of charter flights as possible, for example. Well, I believe that the um, Wolfpack, they already do that with them where um, they'll have you know five, six games in a row in Toronto so they're not travelling back and forth every week because it's a fair trip, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that would and be I, madness. I, I, and when they're having New York there, that maybe a team would play Toronto, then New York, and try and do that in a row as often as possible, so it just reduces that travel time and cost. To be fair, on the Toronto front, they, they kind of have to do that by necessity because they can't play the early part of the season in Canada because it's minus 30, um, so they have to play it out of England. Oh, fucking man. Until up. it gets warmer. 
Look, there's also, in the vein of Peter Volandi's suite of rule changes, um, that Nick Politis, Uncle Nick, wasn't very happy about. He said it undermined the integrity of the game. Um, how do we feel about any other things we're doing it? Do we think we should just go hog wild with rule changes and maybe implement a few of our own as well? Now, um, any listeners of the show might remember uh, we tossed uh, an idea of ours called the Power Play. Actually, we tossed it at Luke Phillips from memory when we were interviewing him. He wasn't particularly um, enthused with that idea. From memory, we suggested that there should be 28 players on the field at once for five minutes uh, because obviously the advantages there of having a you know, a 14-man overlap were just <laughs> too salivating to ignore. Yeah, I like the idea of... Um, I think I think we should go with Ricky's old idea of, of implementing one forward pass instead. Just, just give it a ball and see how it goes. So just a 50-metre forward, you, you get one. Can, it, can anyone pass the forward pass? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a quarterback play, right? It's, it's trying to put a little bit of the NFL into the NRL. I mean, he suggested that back in the 90s. But, um, oh, he's an innovator. I'd still, love to see, I'd still love to see a trial. It would be just really interesting to see what, it, what the NRL would look like. I mean, I guess you would have to say for that play, um, I don't know, there's no offside. Well, no, it would have to be, yeah. Do you, <laughs> Xander, do you think... Xander, do you think something in that situation would happen to Mitchell Pearce? Like, that would be horribly ironic because normally he throws a lot of forward passes. Do you think he would actually end up getting the one forward pass backwards by mistake? <laughs> he managed to fuck it up, yeah. No, that's that's would, another reason. Like, the comic value of this thing for players like him would just be pure gold. I would suggest that it would be the only pass Cam Smith would throw backwards all game. <laughs> That's right, because as soon as as soon as it becomes a rule, Cameron Smith does he doesn't want to have anything to do with it, because he needs to bend and break them. It's not it's not his modus operandi. It's not his reason for living. Um, look, I don't know. It strikes me that if we wanted to go sort of the radical militaristic route, maybe each team could have a, a sort of a flying drone gun. Obviously, it would be um, rubber bullets. We're not we're not savages, but um, what do we think of that? How about tranks? Okay, how many? One per game. Each team has a drone and it has, you know, one tranquilizer dart. And you're, of course, taking the risk that you're accidentally going to hit your own player, but that's part of the fun. I don't mind that. I mean, just turn the rugby league field into war torn Yemen as much as we possibly can. Maybe if we can infuse some kind of like Sunni Shia geopolitics into the bargain as well, we'd really have, I guess, a, a 360 degree game, wouldn't we, Xander? I think, I think we'd have. Um Probably a, a fairly polarised fan base if we went down that road, but hey, look, passion's great. There's plenty of money in the Middle East. Yeah, that's right. That'd be what Peter Volandis is thinking about, I think. It's it, the, the chance of maybe getting access to an oil field um, would really keep the NRL going through this deprived time of COVID-19. If we're, if we're wanting to you know, increase the speed of the game, that's important and everything, then... And make the game more money, I, I think the suggestion should be that NRL should just start manufacturing their own performance-enhancing drugs, tell the players they're allowed to use any that they want, and but they have to buy them from the NRL at a premium cost. The NRL would therefore be, you know, basically saving half money on the contracts and the amount of drugs that they'd be selling and making an absolute monster out of it. Great, bo- a great business model, although I would say maybe use Paul Gallen as the wholesaler. Um, that could be the way to go. But look, let's face it, guys, the only rule change we really need is a new tap and dump rule 
So basically, at any time, all fans have a chance to tap on Antonio Winterstein's girlfriend's smartphone, bring up her Instagram account, and take a very large steaming dump of number twos on the touchscreen. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, not too much is known about the NRL draw. It remains um, a bit mysterious, um, a bit of an enigma. But what we do know is that there is likely to be a traditional rivalry theme when the draw is eventually released. Now, we know the draw every year isn't particularly fair because there are some teams that play other teams twice. So by definition, it can't be pure in terms of being fair. But who we think the big winners are, guys, I'm going to toss over to you. We The SMH have released a graph of what it believes is the likelihood of the repeat games. Probably start with you, Mario, for this one. Can you tell us which teams you think, I guess, get the biggest advantage over the repeat games? Well, I mean, so I think we rule out the teams that don't matter and we look at, the say, the top 10, you know, the teams that are actually count. So you, you rule out... Yeah, dragons. Uh, you know the obvious ones, the ones that we know are shit. So I'm not, I'm not concerned by their draws. But you look at the, um, the knights, and they've got the sharks, the warriors, and the tigers twice. So I think that's pretty favourable to them. Canberra have got the tigers, warriors, and bulldogs twice on this one. That's obviously very favourable. I think that's the easiest draw by a long way. I agree with you, mate. The Raiders is the biggest worry. As a Roosters fan, the Raiders draw is a bit of the biggest worry for me because, as you said, Dragons twice, Warriors twice, Bulldogs twice. They're already a gun team. Surely, if this does turn out to be the case, as soon as it comes out, I'm putting a rather large bet on Canberra making the top four, I think. Yeah, fair enough, too. Uh, Roosters, I mean, you guys, you, yours is pretty tough like Manly's, but you at least get the Dragons twice so we both get you know one easy team twice yeah look as a fellow roosters fan xander um our draw obviously we're none from two it's a shortened runway so we're going to need to win as many games as possible and if these are the repeat teams and that's souths broncos raiders storm and thank goodness the dragons um i mean that looks like it's going to be a pretty tough road for the roosters to be honest with you and i know they're a good side but what are your thoughts on that? Um, are you feeling a little bit nervous? Well, when half your games are against top flat opposition, it's, um, it, it definitely makes it a bit trickier, particularly having started the, the season uh, over from two. Uh, they're, they're definitely a side that are capable of listing, but, um, geez, they haven't made it easy for us to, to score the three-peat, mate. Um, I would add, apart from us, I think, I think the Roosters have one of the tougher draws of all the clubs. Um, you could probably make a case that um, the Storm had a reasonably tough draw too, but um, they started well, so they're in a good position. According to this sheet, the Storm have the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the Manly Seagulls, the Broncos, the Roosters and the Cowboys. So you're quite right. Outside of the Cowboys, um, who probably have only expressed moderate form so far, um, the Storm, thankfully, have a pretty tough draw. You're right. Sorry to, to cut you off there. Yeah, no, I should have, should have read those out. But yeah, they've got a, they've got a pretty tough draw. They, they have played Manly already, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, Manly, Manly uh, took them pretty close for, uh, well, up until that last uh, 15 minutes, at least. It was a pretty tough one game. Um, but yeah, after the storm, I'd say big winners from this, other than the, the, uh, the Raiders that you guys have already covered, I think the Panthers are probably one of the better sides out of this. They've started strong. And they've got the Tigers, the Warriors, Cowboys... Um, 
Eels and Manly. I think Manly's probably the toughest side of a lot out of that. And the rest, I feel like they, they've taken... You could probably put the mods on to beat all of those sides. Yeah, the Cowboys just are not looking on on, on, the, uh, on pace. I mean, based on the first few rounds several months ago. Tigers, uh, a lot of questions about. I mean, the, the Leilua combination didn't work out how they thought it would. Warriors, Jesus Christ, where do you start? Um, and the Eels, <laughs> hard to say, but, um, you know, they, they've been a hot and cold team. They could, they could probably cause, you know, the sort of Western suburbs battle. But, um, yeah, they, I, I would still back the Panthers over the Eels. And another and thing to... to Sorry, Murray, you I go. I admit that Panthers, you know, they have the wood over Manly in recent times. They they tend to get wins over us even when they probably shouldn't. So that that one does concern me a little bit because I don't generally go in feeling that confident against them. Bit of a bogey team, Mario. And another advantage, I don't know if you read about this, but the Panthers, all their games will be broadcast exclusively on TikTok. So they've got a lot of things going for them this year, let's be honest. Pornhub. <laughs> yeah, and on Pornhub. That's if Tyrone May is playing. Um, but, you know, another thing I, did, I should point out, and I, I think for anyone who loves a bit of a, a flutter, the Tigers, I think they've got a pretty good run as well. So if you wanted to put on a, a sneaky bet for them making the eight, they're playing the Titans twice, the Dragons twice, the Bulldogs twice, and they've got Nine. the Knights and the Panthers. So for me, if this is if this is accurate, Tigers fans are going to be pretty happy. Lock in Knights. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. The Knights too. I I'm back to the Knights at this point. The Knights started well. They did, mate, but I guess my concern with the Knights is who have they beaten? Yeah, fair point. So and we'll find Ponga out. out for three weeks, first three games, Ponga's out for or something, he's suspended. I didn't even know that. What was he suspended for? Uh, I can't remember, but they've got someone else. They've definitely, the round three, they've got some young guy that I've never heard of, but everyone rave, is raving about from, I'm guessing from Q Cup, because that's where most raving people come from. Um <laughs> And he, you know, so a lot of people talking this guy up, but yeah, no ponger anyway. So that will be interesting to see how they go with a new, untested person there. Oh, I know the guy you're talking about. He's got a like a name like Buck. Oh, I'll have to look it up. But you're right. There's been a guy that Joey Johns has been talking up hugely for the Knights. Must that big thighs? Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting. <laughs> exactly. It'd be interesting. Now, look, um, that's a bit of a, a short analysis of of the potential double ups in the draw. But I guess it leads me to another question, gents. Do you think, I guess, in terms of the competition having integrity, which has taken some hits over the last couple of weeks, let's be honest, is this the best way to do it? I know that there's an uh, it helps to increase the fan interest to have traditional rivalries in the game, and we love seeing these kind of matches. Uh, we love seeing your Souths versus the Roosters and your Manly versus Melbourne and your Gold Coast Titans versus uh, 12-year-old schoolgirl club team. Exactly. But, I mean, in terms of the in interest of fairness, is this the best way to do it? Or should we kind of maybe find a more random way of assigning who plays each other twice? They're going to have a shortened season. Wouldn't you start off by just trying to focus on making making sure that every team got to play each other well? I mean, they're going to, they're going to get to play each other once, but to compensate for the fact that... Um, there are there are imbalances in the season and, and randomising it a little bit more. I mean, it does feel like it's going to be. It. I mean, I, I do speak as a Roosters fan who's looked at the draw and thought, "Fuck that, the tough draw." But I do think that um, you have to take it into account. And Mario, I guess obviously one thing to concede is it's never it's never fair in any year. So to be griping about it not being 
philosophically even is probably a little bit absurd, but I just thought it'd be an interesting segue for thought because, you know, we all talk about, no one really holds this idea up to much scrutiny, but here at the Voluntary Tackle, we cross our T's and dot our I's and occasionally come all over the W. I'm actually not sure if this is the most fair way to go about it. And frankly, I'm not a fan of this, you know, this giant supercomputer that they get to do the draw every year because occasionally they've got teams playing each other twice within a month. I don't I never really understood how that worked. They, they promised me, the NRL promises that there is some kind of logic to it. But how do you see that? Is this the most ideal way of doing it? I mean, there's, there's never going to be an ideal way of doing it. But as we've said before, in the end, the best team's going to win if they have to play. You know, if Manly's the best team, if Roosters are the best team, they have to beat the Storm twice, they have to beat whoever else, they'll win. You know, I'm... What happens in round five isn't really affecting you in the grand final all that much as long as you do the right things to get there. So, big deal. You know, if we're the best team this year, we'll beat the Storm and we'll beat Parramatta and we'll beat whoever else we're coming up against because that's just how it's meant to be. And if not, say la vie. What about the idea of every team just plays each other the one time and the calendar's reorganised in a way that allows for more internationals, allows for the standalone origin series and all that kind of thing? Yes, if we fold, if rugby union folds and all their players uh, join the comp and then we go out to, say, 24 teams, so we play 23 rounds, yep, that's viable. Otherwise, nah. Fair enough. And look, for the record, listeners, uh, for me, I'm not a fan of ceding too much power over to the artificial intelligence or the giant supercomputers to do the draw each year. For me, it should be a woman named Cheryl from the Putney Bowling Club. She'll be pulling balls from a bingo machine, and that's the only fair way to do this. It's the same way Mal Meninga chooses his uh, Gold Coast Titans recruits, apparently. Double virus, legs 11. It's Bryce Cartwright. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, we don't want to be too NRL-obsessed, which is why uh, we're going to finish off the show today by talking about something which has nothing to do with rugby league, but nonetheless, I want to tax the minds of Media Watch Mario and Xander Rosato about, I guess, this story which has gripped the world. Now, it's about a Kansas man who has recently sought legal permission in Iowa to engage in a sword fight with his ex-wife. Now, he's not insane, he insists, but he says he's merely angry over a child custody arrangement and he believes that this is the only fair way to sort out the grievance. Um, We're going to start with you, Mario. Traditional sword fighting, should that be the way that, um, I guess, family court in Australia should move from now on? Instead of having a judge deliberate on the basis of evidence and testimony, we simply get really medieval and we have the parents duke it out and duel with swords. No, I don't like going backwards that far. Why don't we just go back to, say, the 1800s, you know, not quite so far, and just have dueling with guns? I love it. All cannons, either of those would do blow off a leg here and there. Xander, do you agree with that? Um, look, you know, I don't, I don't mind a bit of medieval justice here and there. I mean, sort of fun fact, but the, the term best man for weddings is, um, is a shorthand for best swordsman because you would pick the best swordsman to basically defend you whilst you generally illegally married a woman you'd kidnapped. Um, so you needed somebody to protect you in case their family came and found you. Um, so, you know, I think, I think these things are steeped in tradition is what I'm trying to say. And, um, yeah, I think all power to it. How about jousting? That's the one on horseback, isn't it, where you get the large telegraph poles? Yeah, I, de- I definitely didn't mean the um, Dylan Napper style. <laughs> Although that could also be used in family court. 
Uh, look, I think we've solved a lot of our uh, a lot of the big moral um, qualms of our time here, gentlemen. Uh, we will wrap up the show before we um, do the final close. Have we got any other orders of business? I did have a question. Um, do we? What do we think about the mooted seven-year deal that Peter Volandis is about to get, so that just so he can say he's made the biggest, you know, broadcasting deal in history, two point three billion allegedly. Um, what do you guys think of? that and how it might theoretically look well i'd be happy with it mate so long as uh, channel nine's not involved i would certainly a bit like a jilted lover i'd like to see channel nine cast out into the cold uh for all of the bows and arrows it's thrown its way at the game but yeah for me i'm happy with the billions i'll definitely take your money um, but for me, Phil Gould and the Channel 9 team can piss off and cover the darts for a while because they've been quite mean. Yeah, I, I have concerns. I've got to say, I think um, it sounds good on paper, you know, but if it's going to go to 2026, it'll be seven years if, as an extension of the current deal with a discount for this year. Um, but it strikes me that the, the value of the NRL to, to Channel 9 and other uh, free-to-wear networks is actually increasing, you know, most of their top-rated shows are rugby league matches in the last few years. So with the increase of increasing ability to put this stuff out via uh, other digital streaming platforms and, and the ability to control those rights being sort of the go-to strategy for a lot of other large sporting organisations, I, I kind of worry that they're, they, they might be left behind by signing such a, a long-term deal. I almost would prefer them to do it a shorter deal so they can... They can um, set themselves up for maybe something that gives them a bit more freedom and even more money, but I don't know. I, I, think, I think the same. I think we would be better off just taking... Give them, give them a reduced deal for now because I understand the situation. Where it Maybe the product this year is worth less than it was mooted to be. So I understand a, short, a lesser deal, so just make a two-year deal that's a bit less, but then that get, puts us in the right position to move the game forward in two years' time. I, I, I just think... As you said, we're worth more to Channel 9, not less, because what value does commercial TV really have if it's not for live sport or live things in general? Because the whole value of sport is watching it live. And why are we watching commercial TV? I know I personally am not. My TV never leaves the ABC when there's no sport on. Unless it's obviously uh, replays, Mario, of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. I know you're a big fan of that, especially that delightful Aussie ostrich. Unfortunately, that's only available on a streaming service, not on free-to-air TV. That's true. And especially if you want to do the uh, the director's cut where the ostrich does the puppetry of the penis, which is amusing, but it, it feels very 1988. It doesn't feel like it's come with the times. Um, well, look, guys, we'll probably wrap up the show there. Thank you very much, Xander and Mario, for joining the Voluntary Tackle for yet another week. And, of course, we thank you, the listeners, for keeping up with our madness again. Thank you very much. Until next time. Just do what Peter Fitzsimons would do and tie a red bandana around your head so tight that your cerebral cortex excretes from your left ear. See you next time.